It is something that a little more than half of, of all Americans do every day. It is something 97% of those who, who believe in God do every day. I'm talking about prayer. And what do we pray for? Studies show 82% of us pray for, for friends and we pray for family. 38% of us pray for, for people who have experienced natural disasters. 13% of us pray for our favorite sports team to win. And knowing a few Michigan State and Michigan fans, I suspect God has heard a few prayers lately. 12% of us pray for politicians is interesting. 7% of us pray for a parking spot or to not get caught speeding. What do you pray for? When you pray, what stirs in your mind and in your soul and in your heart? This fall, our theme, Flourish, was prompted by a study that, that Harvard supported called the, the Human Flourishing Project. Their research discovered that choosing to be aligned with, with a faith community and engaged in its spiritual practices enables us to, to steer away from risky behaviors, from, from addictions, from, from mental health issues such as depression. In other words, then we can flourish. And how do we align ourselves with a faith community? What, what practices can we choose to adopt in order to flourish? So far, we've considered how reading God's word can, can lead us to a place of no danger, as Lynn phrased a few weeks ago. That place where we can set aside our anxieties and set aside our concerns and invite scripture to nurture us through reading and through reflection and through study. Last week, we asked ourselves, what, what childhood stories do we remember reading over and over again? And does that particular choice shape who we are as a person and even our life's purpose? We then considered the stories that Jesus heard as a child and how that one of the themes that clearly took hold was Jesus' emphasis on generosity that he exhibited through word and deed. Which brings us to our third practice. On your bulletin cover this morning, you'll find a photograph. Do you know what it is? It's the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. During my extended study leave this summer, when Lynn and I were at Princeton Seminary, we visited it as Lynn remembered the, the impression it made on her during a, a school trip as a child. Now, to help you understand why a penitentiary is on our bulletin cover, I need to take you back to colonial times and how prisons were run then and the necessity of prison reform, which is in the news even today. As the Smithsonian reports, early in our nation, prisons were horrible. They were disease-ridden. Jailers made little effort to protect the prisoners from each other. Food came at a price. 
It wasn't unusual for prisoners to, to die from starvation or cold. Then Benjamin Franklin and others decided to form the Philadelphia Society for alleviating the miseries of public prisons. Dr. Benjamin Rush, a noted Philadelphia physician, for example, became convinced that crime was a moral disease and suggested a house of repentance was the solution, a place where prisoners could meditate and, and think about their crimes in prayer and and undergo rehabilitation. That idea led to the building of the Eastern State Penitentiary. And what had never occurred to me before we toured that building that hot August afternoon was the word penitentiary emerges from the word penance. A penitentiary, in other words, is a place where you are given the opportunity to offer God your penance which was a revolutionary idea at the time. The, the arch ceiling you see in the photograph was designed to resemble a church. Each inmate had his or own cell named after a monastic cell. There were other design innovations. The architect John Haviland constructed each cell with a skylight, which represented the eye of God, suggesting that God was watching you. Not only that, each cell was designed with central heating and toilets and a bath, luxuries not even President Andrew Jackson enjoyed at the White House. And along with the Bible, their only possession, the clear purpose of this revolutionary prison was to provide the means for those who had made mistakes to reflect, to pray, with God's guidance, build a new life. The first practice that enables us to flourish is to choose to read God's word. The second is to cultivate a life grounded in generosity. The third is to pray, and scripture offers different models of what that can look like. There is, for example, what is called the, the prayer for others, where we pray for those in distress or in need, for a family member, a dear friend, people afflicted by, by a hurricane. That's the kind of prayer we find described in our reading from the book of James that Judy read. Is, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone sick? Let them pray. I wonder, is that the kind of prayer that wells up in your heart or your soul, or your mind this morning. Prayer for others. There's also the prayer of, of, of petition. When we come before God with, with the desires of our hearts, perhaps for health, for a relationship to flourish, for a business to grow, for a new job, for, for our children to thrive, that kind of prayer is also referenced in Scripture, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I wonder, is that the kind of prayer that wells up in your heart and your soul and your mind this morning? The, the prayers that are on your hearts, the, the prayer petition. 
And then there is what is called the prayer of examine. Have you ever heard of it? Richard Foster is considered one of the foremost authors on the subject of prayer. And in his book, Prayer, Finding Your Heart's True Home, he observes how this kind of prayer is often neglected in our individual and our corporate prayer life. What is the prayer of examine? It is, as Foster notes, a form of prayer where alongside God we, we bore down deeper and deeper into our heart, into our soul, and into our mind. We examine in prayer our motivations, our actions, our reactions, our moral failures. We find an example of the prayer of examine in our reading from the Psalms this morning. As we hear, you have, you have searched me, Lord, and, and you know me. You know, when I sit, and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I wonder, have you ever acknowledged or expressed in prayer that kind of intimacy with God? Have you ever prayerfully invited God to, to search you, to know you, to take note of your anxiety and to assess what might be offensive to God in your life? There are only few in the pantheon of Christian writers who are known for expressing spiritual truths with, with insight and, and eloquence and conviction. There are, for example, G.K. Chesterton and C.S. Lewis, Marilyn Robinson. But there is also this southern novelist, maybe not as well known, but revered by literature fans and scholars, and that is Flannery O'Connor. This week I discovered, along with her remarkable novel, Wise Blood, and this collection of short stories I have reread a dozen times. In 2013, they published a book of her prayers. It was a prayer journal. What happened was Flannery's friend, scholar William Sessions, was, was digging around in a library and found the writer's old sterling composition book, that was tied up with a bunch of papers. And, and in that composition book, she had written down her thoughts on prayer, her own prayers. Now, over the years, I have at times kept a prayer journal. Maybe you have as well. About seven, eight years ago, I was curious how my prayers turned out. So I, I recorded them for a few months. Uh, I listed names and situations, and no one would ever want to publish it. But Flannery O'Connor's prayer journal is stunning. As one reviewer put it, her mind is examined, her faith is questioned, and her weaknesses are confessed. In her journal, for example, there are prayers of petition. She writes, I want very much to succeed in the world with what I want to do. 
I pray to you about this with, with my mind and my nerves. I've strung out my nerves into tension over it and said, Oh God, please. But there is also a keen self-awareness that this kind of prayer, petition can be misguided. She writes, Help me to ask you, Oh Lord, for what is good for me to have? for what I can have and do your service by having. And there are time and time again prayers of examine. Dear God, she writes, contrition in me is largely imperfect. I don't know if I've ever been sorry for a sin because it hurt you. She writes this, my mind is in a little box, dear God, down inside other little boxes, and on and on. There is very little air in my box. Please give me as much air as is not presumptuous to ask for. Please let some light shine down in all of the things around me. Oh God, help me to get down under things and find where you are. In our final reading from Luke's Gospel, Jesus taught the disciples of the prayer of examine. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers and adulterers and evildoers. But a tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, said Jesus, rather than the other, went home justified by God. Scripture, you see, reveals that we need to pray not only for others and not only for ourselves, but Scripture invites us to pray the prayer of examine and invite to God to search us as, as we search ourselves and then, if need be, to offer our penance. And to do that, we will likely need to find our own selves to gaze down into the little box of our mind, as O'Connor puts it, and the box within that box, and the box within that box, that place where you and I keep our secrets and our regrets, where we hide our mistakes. And then as Jesus teaches to pray for mercy. Because if we get down under it, there and then, as we pray for light to shine through and out of all these things, there and then we will discover God is beside us. There and then we will find forgiveness and grace and love. And from that prayerful place of examine, 
we can and will flourish. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,